Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. American Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire service. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. Joining me again today is Casey Harper, the Center Square's Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief. How are you today, Casey? Doing well, Dan. How are you? Doing okay. I'm having some voice issues. Apologize ahead of time to our listeners. The weather um, hasn't helped. We are recording this podcast on Friday, November 18th. As a blizzard is about to bear down on parts of the Great Lakes and Northeast region, places like Buffalo could get up to four feet of snow, four feet, not inches. Casey, you're not traveling to Buffalo or anywhere nearby this oh, weekend, are you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sadly going to have to cancel my long looked forward to trip to Buffalo this weekend, but I'll recover. And the NFL even moved the Cleveland Browns game at Buffalo and the Buffalo Bills to Detroit to avoid the snowstorm. What's not to love about a, a NFL football game in a blizzard? Why move it? I, I agree. I love watching the games in the blizzard. And there's also something about holiday games in the snow. You know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, Christmas. You know, I, I think uh, a great holiday, you know, time game in the snow can be historic. I mean, you, you've seen these clips. Some of these things uh, can be pretty cool. So I say play. Yeah, I, play, I played football in pretty cold weather. And, you know, here I am. I turned out successful enough to be on a podcast with Dan McCaleb. So who knows? What could happen for them? Oh, there you go. Mm -hmm. There you go. All right. Anyway, I was disappointed. I wanted to see that snowball. We do have some news to talk about, Casey. So why don't we get into that? More than a week after the election, we finally learned that Republicans have uh, regained control of the U.S. House. Democrats will have a slim majority in the Senate. Republicans, a slim majority in the House. And they've already started planning for their majority. Tell us about that, Casey. Yeah, this is... um Pretty interesting. There's some interesting signaling going on this week. I mean, as you know, in politics, there's signaling and then there's actually what happens. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. But, um, you know, House Republicans, uh, not all of them, but, you know, m multiple House Republicans in leadership, uh, just hours after the majority was called for Republicans, the necessary 218 votes that they need to be in control of the House to divide the government, you know, keep the Senate. Democrats from just passing whatever they want to slow down the Biden agenda. They make clear that they're going to use this power to investigate um, not only Hunter Biden, but even you know the president himself and his uh, his family for how they were involved in Hunter Biden's foreign foreign business dealings, how they may have benefited, um, and they're even you know strongly you could say alleging or hinting or suggesting, but uh, that President Joe Biden was more involved than he has led on and has. So, you know, there's there's been a lot of talk about this ever, you know, even in the, the previous election. Actually, part of the reason that, you know, Twitter came under such scrutiny is because a story about Hunter Biden and his laptop and some of these foreign business dealings um, came out just before the election and Twitter, you know, shut it down when the New York Post shared it. Um, Facebook, I believe, shadow banned it. So they didn't totally remove it, but they just limited its scope. Um, and that was actually we later found out because of uh you know, federal law enforcement warned them and told them to do that. And so um, there's questions, you know, part of this investigation is to the FBI, uh, how, you know, how they may have played a role in all this. This is a wide ranging investigation and includes associates of the Biden family and includes, you know, the Treasury secretary who Republicans say has withheld some financial uh, reporting documents that may give more information into bank accounts and things that Hunter Biden used. So 
more and more information is coming out on this. Uh, and the more that comes out and reporting is shown, the, the more truth there is to the story. It was initially dismissed as a conspiracy theory or, you know, Russian disinformation. But, you know, initially, now the New York Times, which initially dismissed some of this reporting, has verified the existence of the laptop. So uh, you may say, I mean, why, why are we picking on Hunter Biden? And, you know, why does this matter? Uh, I think we're put, what, you know, House Republicans would say is this matters because the Biden family could be compromised and there could be some kind of blackmail or leverage against the president, which was a big concern um, when Donald Trump was president. There was a big concern that um, based on the dossier, which turned out to be totally, you know, um, fake and, and made up, but that some Russians or someone had some leverage or blackmail on the president, which of course could be really powerful to have blackmail against the president. So that's that's like a quick summary of the whole Hunter Biden scandal. We can dive more into it. I think House Republicans have other things that they want to uh, want to address, but this is the first thing they really went out on a press conference and brought up. And it's kind of one of, you know, they're going to be limited in what kind of laws or things they can pass because of the divided government, because their House majority is going to be so slim. So things like investigations, things like this are going to be probably the focus over the next two years. Uh, interesting stuff. And and now that they do have control of the House, they'll have subpoena powers um, uh, um, to be able to use their essentially bully pulpit um, to, 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 to gather more information, require um, maybe even members of Biden's family to testify um, before Congress. So it's going to be an interesting couple of years. Yeah. What else is going to be interesting about it, um, Casey, is mm-hmm. that um, – uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, powerful uh, House Democrat from California, um, is not going to be part of leadership of the, Demo- the, the new Democratic minority uh, in the House. What did she tell us this week? Yeah, I mean, this has been a long-awaited announcement. There's been a cu- couple of false starts where you know we thought Nancy Pelosi was going to uh, step down, and then she didn't. There's been jockeying um, from other House Democrats and who's going to replace her. Um, but she announced uh, yesterday that she is stepping down. She's 82 years old. Uh, so that's the day and that's your new target. 82, you can step down from leadership, but that's what, you know, or you're not as tough as Nancy. I mean, Nancy's actually pretty tough. I mean, con- comparing her and President Biden, I mean, I think, you know, one of the big criticisms of Biden has been how much his age has shown. But I don't think it's really shown for Nancy. She's been pretty durable, but uh, she's hanging up the hat now. She said she will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. Um, This is a quote from her. The hour has come for a new generation to lead the Democratic um, caucus that I so deeply respect. So she's actually going to keep representing her district in California, but is handing off uh, handing off leadership. And she's been a part of leadership um, for more than 20 years or for about 20 years anyway. In fact, she was the first female uh, House Speaker, um, um, so uh, it made history uh, there. I don't know that Republicans are going to miss her in her in her <laughs> leadership role, but she'll still be around for a couple of years representing San Francisco. That's right. And a person to watch in all this is Hakeem Jeffries. He's a a New York <laughs> a New York House Democrat, and he's expected to, uh, you know, it's expected to is such is difficult language, but he's the one everyone's looking at as a very possible replacement for her. Um, so keep your eye on Hakeem Jeffries and, uh, we'll see, we'll see if he's able to secure, uh, replace it. Because as you said, I mean, Nancy Pelosi was almost two, two decades in this role. So if you get it and, and you do it well, it can be a, almost a lifetime appointment. And on the, uh, in the senior chamber in the U S Senate, 
um, Democrats secured 50 of 100 seats. Republicans currently control 49 with the runoff election still to be held um, in Georgia to determine who uh, who will fill that um, final seat in the Senate. Regardless, because Democrats have 50 now, and even if uh, uh, Herschel Walker, the Republican in Georgia, wins, it would be 50-50. Uh, again, just as it's been at these past two years, but with um, the Biden administration and Vice President Kamala Harris uh, in office, the Vice President has the tie-breaking vote in the Senate, so Democrats will uh, be in control of the Senate. On the minority side, though, uh, um, in the Republican Party, uh, there was a, a, a mini battle, I would say, for leadership there. Uh, who ended up winning? Yeah, you're right. There was a, some tussling, some some last-minute um, battling to see if uh, Mitch McConnell's mantle as uh, leader of Senate Republicans could be wrested away from him, but it was unfruitful. You know, Rick Scott, the Republican senator from Florida, who leads the National Republican Study Committee, which you know is a it, it does research, it does um, a lot of campaign campaign work. Uh, he tried to challenge McConnell, but it was just not very much. He got a couple votes, but it it didn't really stand much of a chance. And he sent a letter to you know his colleagues, which I you know I looked at. And he raised a lot of concerns. You know, he said he really took issue feeling that uh, McConnell didn't present a legislative agenda saying, hey, to the American people, hey, if you elect a Republican majority, here's what we're going to do over the next two years. You know, we didn't hear a lot about any kind of legislative plan, any legislative agenda. And so he's, you know, said that some of the blame for Republicans poor showing in the midterm elections could be placed at the feet of McConnell because of that. Um, you know, Rick, Rick Scott also, he he did more explicitly just say, Hey, these elections weren't great. Um, he's, he brought up some issues like taking on communist China, um, holding the FBI and IRS, IRS accountable, protecting social security and Medicare as some of the legislative things that he would have liked to talk about. And he did get an ally in Ted Cruz. Um, Ted Cruz is actually very vocally, uh, opposed to McConnell. Um, he said on his podcast is a quote, Mitch would rather be leader than have a Republican majority. If there's a Republican who can win, who's not going to support Mitch, the truth of the matter is he'd rather the Democrat win. And so, you know, of course, he's saying here that uh, Mitch cares more about maintaining his power than it getting any legislative wins. You know, risky legislative action is risky. You know, bold legislative action is risky. It can uh, cost you a majority. I mean, we saw that with how Democrats um, had the battle over Obamacare and then and lost, you know, big seats. So it's interesting to see. I, I think... Um, some of his party infighting might be, you know, not that interesting to our, so to some of our listeners, it's inside baseball, but it's important to keep an eye on these relationships because, uh, you know, leadership doesn't forget things like this. Like they're going to, you know, McConnell's going to remember that Ted Cruz did this. You don't remember that Rick Scott did this. It affects committee appointments. It affects future relationships. Um, but, you know, Mitch McConnell is getting up there. He's not uh, 82 like Nancy Pelosi, um, but he's getting up there in age. He's actually, he's 80 years old. That's looked at. Looked it up. So these guys are going to have to be replaced soon, and that could be a new era for both parties. Right, and and after the Republicans' disappointing performance in the midterm elections, yes, they did retake control of the House. They did not retake control of the Senate. Uh, many were because of the economy, because the record high inflation and gas prices under President Biden, and just because of history. Um, usually at the midterms, the 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 party. 
um, that is not in control of the White House sees huge gains. Republicans did see s- some gains in, in the House, but not the red wave that everyone um, was expecting. There was a lot of heat on McConnell. So he did win a political victory uh, uh, this week uh, after the challenge from Rick Scott. Rick Scott, by the way, um, was boosted well, he, he wasn't boosted very much, I guess, similar to the midterms by President Trump, who supported um, mm-hmm. uh, his leadership call. President, Speaking of uh, former President Trump, though, he made a big announcement this week. You got to watch his speech. Casey, uh, he's going to run for president again. What would you think of the speech and what's your anal- early analysis? Uh, I felt like I was um, back in 2015, and it was like I was in a time machine uh, back just watching Trump give his opening announcement. It was very interesting. Uh, he he hit on so many of the same points, the same themes. Uh, it almost felt like word for word was similar to his campaign speeches in the uh, the twenty you know twenty sixteen election. And he talked about kind of this underdog theme about taking on corruption, taking on the establishment. Some of the things that I think did propel um, Trump to victory. Of course, he announced his. Um, his candidacy for 2024, he said, this is a quote, in order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. So I don't know if it's going to be make America great and glorious again. That's like MAGA with two G's. Um, we'll have to keep an eye on that. But uh, he gave the speech from Mar-a-Lago, of course, in Palm Beach, Florida, to a room of supporters. I thought the speech, you know, some of the feedback was that, that you know, people were giving to the speech was that it was kind of a lower energy than normal. but you know, that's an interesting, you know, way to look at it with Trump because I think Trump is almost uh, high energy to a fault sometimes. And if he toned back his rhetoric uh, and was a little bit less divisive, then maybe that could actually help him. I think that might be welcomed by some voters. At the same time, I I find it hard to believe that there's people in America, voters in America, who haven't already kind of made up their mind about Trump, whether they love him or hate him. So it's going to be interesting, you know, seeing a president who ran, lost, Ran one, ran lost, and now going to run again. Um, I don't know. It's going to be. I'd be curious to hear what you thought. I know you um, followed the speech as well, but he hit on these themes about um, America being taken advantage of, about uh, our terrible foreign policy, about how um, the economy was great. He really hit on how great the economy was during his administration, which is true. The, the economy did really well, and now just in two years, how we've kind of fallen from that high spot that he says he brought us to. So. Um, I think think one of the noteworthy things for me was he did not mention or criticize any of his potential Republican opponents in the uh, in in, what could be a very interesting uh, primary season. Of course, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has been a rising star in the Republican Mm-hmm. Um, party. Florida really was the only state where this midterm red wave happened. DeSantis won easily against uh, his Democratic opponent, Charlie um, Crist, even won you know, traditionally Democratic areas, areas such as Miami and Dade County, right. um, where there's a huge Latino um, population. Trump in recent weeks has been criticizing DeSantis because of his popularity, because he's been um, uh, rumored to be a potential presidential candidate in 2024. But in his speech this week announcing his uh, run for presidency, uh, Trump left 
people like DeSantis and other potential opponents, former Vice President um, Mike Pence, for example, left him alone during this one. Is that a sign that maybe Trump has turned the page? No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I think Trump did get a lot of negative uh, feedback from not that, you know, it's unclear where the negative feedback really get, um, affects his decisions because he's gotten plenty over the years and has remained pretty steadfast in some of his positions and ways of handling things. But um, he got a lot of negative feedback for attacking DeSantis, you know, right before Election Day. Um, and now with the Georgia runoff coming in December, I think a lot of you know, people within the party, maybe some people around Trump are saying, hey, I get it. But can you just wait till after Georgia? I mean, you're gonna have plenty of time, you're gonna have over, you know, over a year and a half to keep attacking DeSantis. Can you just let us get through Georgia and try to win this Senate seat? You know, they felt like his attack on DeSantis was really unwise right before the midterm elections, because the distraction, why are you going to create division within the political party, attack a Republican who's up for reelection? You know, so I think some people are just saying, hey, can you hold off a little bit longer? Trump did announce very early. Um, so I think he's going to have to decide uh, how much his can campaign is about his ideas and how much it's about attacking his opponent. And I think that's a balance Trump has had to strike in every election he's been in. He did really in 2016, he did a really great job of destroying his primary opponents, but he didn't spend that much time on them. He talked a lot about his message and then he would throw a comment about little Marco. And when they, when they would attack him in the debates, he would destroy them. But he always acted kind of in response. Someone would attack him and then he would shut him down. Um, and then this, he did the same thing with Hillary. Hillary would attack him for, you know, it's a good thing you wouldn't be in control of the law in this country and you destroyed her because like, you'd be in jail. So I think Trump has always been a really good um, de on the defense um, with these one-liners and comebacks and nicknaming opponents while staying focused on his message, which can be a really compelling message. Uh, but what we're seeing here is kind of the opposite, which is him going on the offensive against DeSantis and I think that uh, could play poorly for him because people like DeSantis a lot. And it kind of it plays into this image of Trump as a bully um, or, or Trump even as being insecure or something. So I think he, Trump would be better served really focusing on his message. And then when the time comes, when DeSantis starts attacking him and that time probably will come, um, then he can respond back with what he hopes will be a crushing blow like he did so well in previous elections. So I think the fighting, you know, Trump. I don't think Trump is ever going to run an election that is, doesn't get pretty, uh, you know, on the verge of nasty with attacks. Uh, so I don't think he's really a changed man in that regard. It's just kind of it's just a little early right now. Yeah, I don't either. Um, of <laughs> course, uh, uh, but, uh, Trump uh, is up there in age, just like President Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, folks. We just we talked about earlier. Uh, during the American Focus podcast, he's 76 years old right now. In 2024, when the presidential election is, he'd be 78. And if he won re-election, he'd be 82 by the time that term in office would right. be over. Um, so, and, and President Biden himself has said he's going to he, he'll decide early next year whether or not he's going to seek. Uh, second term. So it is going to be an interesting. That is interesting uh, to think that we could have all the leadership in this country be over 80 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, all right. We got time for just a couple more stories here, Casey. Um, we, um, we mentioned inflation earlier when, when it came to the uh, uh, midterms, uh, new inflation report came out this week. Producer prices uh, rose again in October. Where are we at here? Yeah, we can try to keep this one short and sweet, but we just 
in some ways it's more the same, which is higher prices. The producer price index that was released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics showed that um, those prices rose 0.2% last month. That's part of an 8% rise over the last 12 months. So 8% rise in the last 12 months is a lot. 0.2% rise in the last month is not that is not a, a big jump. So uh, the prices are still rising, but they're rising at a much a much slower rate. So you know, if you did that, if you took that 0.2%, you know, annualize it, you'd be at what like 2.2%, uh, which would be which would be you know not too bad uh, inflation rate. So um, I think that we are seeing these prices slow down. You know, some some things though have still um, risen a lot faster. I mean, things like energy and food are still up so much more in the last you know 12 months than a lot of other things. And so uh, it's interesting because you can, uh, you know, the prices of a lot of other goods and services might go down and lower these overall numbers. But if your food and your gas is markedly higher than it was last year, that's going to impact you a lot more um, and impact your day-to-day -day life a lot more than if, you know, the price of lawnmowers or something going down has offset some of that increase. It's like, Hey, what you really care about is food, energy, rent, rent prices, you know, have definitely been on the rise in the last year. So I think the, the pain is slowing down, but it's definitely still there. And, uh, we haven't seen any, you know, any decline or anything like that. So it's something we'll keep an eye on. Um, and, but and bottom line is bottom line is Americans are paying significantly more, right. Um, for, for various, Items you mentioned, food. Of course, na next week um, is Thanksgiving week um, at the Center Square. We reported also this week. You know, the cost of a traditional Thanksgiving dinner is upwards of fifteen percent more expensive uh, this year than last year. Of course, heading into the ho the uh, the holiday season um, with with Christmas and New Year's and Hanukkah and, and uh, other holidays like that, um, the price of it, the gifts are going to be significantly more expensive. Mm -hmm. We've seen plenty of polling uh, recently and, and months back that Americans are making uh, tough decisions about what they're purchasing um, because of inflation. But I, I do want to touch on one more story. We only have a couple minutes left here, Casey. Um, President Biden this week uh, made an interesting, some interesting comments about a Roe v. Wade. Of course, this past summer, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a prior Supreme Court de de decision in Roe v. Wade, essentially hand handing the decisions about abortion and abortion restrictions. Uh, back to the states, uh, President Biden had been saying he wants to codify uh, Roe v. Wade in federal law, but he backtracked a little bit this week. That's right. He um, he pulled back on his campaign pledge and what a lot of Democrats were talking about on the campaign trail, which is um, <laughs> weaponizing the um, frustration of a lot of Democratic voters around the Supreme Court's decision on this issue. And they said, you know, multiple times on the campaign trail that if they get the votes or they get the seats that they are going to um, put in place these federal abortion protections, right? Put these in, into federal law um, to replace the Supreme Court precedent that was removed. But, you know, Biden was asked about that on Monday, um, said, hey, you know, are you, you uh, are you going to do this? Now? And he said, this is what he said. It's a quote. I don't think they can uh, expect much of anything other than we're going to maintain our positions. I'm not going to get into more questions. I shouldn't even answer your question. Um, and so I, I, he said, I don't think there's enough votes to um, codify something unless something unusual happens in the house. 
And then he went on to say, I think we're going to come very close in the House, but I don't think we're going to make it. This was on Monday, of course, before the House was called for Republicans. So, you know, I think uh, I don't think that there's anything too nefarious going on here from Democrats. You know, he was and from President Biden, you know, Biden was clear that they would need the votes in the House and Senate if they were going to do something on abortion. But I think it can probably feel a little bit like whiplash for Democratic voters who felt like they did pretty good in the midterms, who said, you know, Democrats promised so aggressively that they if they got you know, power that they would do something about abortion. They did pretty well in the midterms, better than a lot of people expected. And then just immediately, you know, days, a couple of days later said, yeah, we're just going to maintain our positions. We're not going to do anything. So I think there's probably a little frustration on the Democrat side that there's nothing happening here. Uh, you can be sympathetic to Biden and his colleagues because they don't probably don't have the votes. Um, but it's something we'll keep an eye on. And at least for now, it looks like Roe v. Wade and abortion you know, laws aren't going to be changed too much, which probably just sets them up to be used again by Democrats uh, to rally their base in 2024. As usual, Casey, thank you for your insight on these issues going on in Washington, D.C. that affect Americans across the country. That is all the time we have this week. A reminder to our listeners, you can find all of the Center Squares podcast at americastalking.com. Take a look. Please subscribe. There is no cost. This has been the American Focus Podcast for Casey Harper. I'm Dan McCaleb. We'll talk to you next week.